Hello, and welcome to the Effective Learning Environments podcast. I'm your host, Les Hauer, Assistant Principal at Coconino High School in Flagstaff, Arizona. This podcast, we're going to explore seven principles of effective learning environments. The first principle is equity. How do we ensure that we have equity in all of our classrooms and in our school? Most learning occurs in a social context when interactions between students and adults occur informally and formally. Since classrooms are social environments, student interactions, exchanges, conversations, discussions, and dialogue, and other activities have a huge impact on the overall learning process, social development, and respectful acceptance of others. It's important to understand that the term equitable is often thought to mean as the same, which is the definition of equality. An equitable learning environment describes an environment where each student's individual needs are met and they are valued for their uniqueness, not their sameness. In the first segment of this podcast, we're going to talk to students and get their take on what equity looks like in the classroom and what we need to do to make our classrooms and our school more equitable. The second segment of this podcast will be with teachers describing what they do in their classroom to increase equity and what we need to do as a learning community to make sure we're equitable at the highest level possible. How do your teachers make sure that you get what you need to learn? So on the first day of school, when you walk into class, what is the first thing you get handed to? Um, You get like a syllabus or you talk to the teacher directly. And then that syllabus, it always talks about what you need to do to be successful, successful in the class. And that's really important because on every syllabus you see, okay, I'm available after school, um, during lunch, before school. And that's always have, um, giving you opportunities to be more successful during the class. Well, when um, students come into a class to learn, no, no one's two students are the same. They all have different ways of learning. And a lot of times when a teacher walks into a class, they teach a class one way, such as a lecture or book work or just continuing on when students are behind. So I feel like when a teacher teaches something, they need to get a um, maybe teach it multiple different ways, such as hands on or kind of taking a step back and letting us learn or group work. And just having different ways for students to learn it in whichever way is best for the students, and that's the way they should teach it. When a student walks into a classroom and they are truly struggling struggling in a class, everybody just assumes, oh, they're not good at that subject, or they just don't understand it. But what a lot of people don't understand is what else is going on in their life. Because say somebody goes into math class and that morning um, they were struggling to get their brothers fed. And they didn't have time to do homework or they didn't, um, their mom needed help with chores or something. And they go into that class not having the homework done because they really didn't have time to do the homework or their minds in a different place, wondering how they're going to feed their family at night or how they're going to be able to get home at night or how they're going to be able to do something in that certain time. And their mind isn't completely on the subject. So they miss something important. And when they miss that something important, they are unable to complete that said math task or the English task. So I feel like if you want the students to be more um, caring and loving for everybody, they just have to understand um, where that person's coming from. Because if you see somebody struggling, you, know, you just see them struggling. You don't see what else is going on in their life.
Having Coconino next to a kind of more low-income neighborhood such as Sunnyside, most of our students come from Sunnyside as myself. And um, coming from Sunnyside, a lot of people think, um, oh, I can't I can't go anywhere with my life because I, I can't. I'm just I'm from Sunnyside. Like I can't do anything. I'm going to be here the rest of my life. And a big thing with having students um, become more like wanting of learning is by showing them that they can get out of Sunnyside and being able to um, come out of places that are more run down, poor and have a low income family. Um, also, being a AP level student and multiple um, sport athlete. I learned that the mind is a very strong thing that you have with you because when you're sitting there saying you can't do it or you don't want to do it, your brain's going to be like, okay, I really can't do this, even though you can. Um, Many times in people's life, they sit there and say, oh, I can't do math because I'm just not good at it. But what we need to have is more of the saying, okay, well, I'm not good at it now, but I'm going to be, I'm going to get better because the mind is a very powerful part of your body and it can convince yourself that you're actually good at it and it makes you want to be better. What do your teachers need to do differently to make sure that every student gets what they need to learn? I think that they should be able to teach um, us as students how to study and prepare ourselves to um, take exams because most of us have like, we study enough, but we don't think that we can do it. Or when we're like taking the test and, um, we like freak out and we start getting anxiety and then all that stuff like that we learned goes away. So how much of anxiety when a student is taking an exam probably has to do with not being as well prepared as maybe they thought they would be? It has a lot. It does. Okay. How do your teachers make sure that you get what you need to learn? Um, I think it's really helpful when teachers have like websites or Google classroom because if you were ever absent or needed anything, you could find everything online, not having to be at school. What do we need to do at our school to teach students to be more empathetic and understanding of others? Um, I feel like some people and students forget that we also have a life outside of school that is not just a constant cycle of stress. Um, if people were to understand this, I feel like we could get a better understanding of people in general. And that's about it. <laughs> Thank you. Probably teach them about more wisdom, bravery, or how strong they are, and probably make it more interested or something like that. What do you need to learn that is out of the control of your teachers? Well, this is not really on what we need to learn, but more like a, one of our necessities to do our work and to learn. It would be more on resources because not every kid on like at school has the resources to do what they need. So like every once in a while, every student will go on a trip and they will not have Internet access to, you know, do homework. So I think teachers should be a little more considerate about like some students schedules. Um, also, for this question, I feel like our classrooms are really hot and sometimes it can make students lethargic and not really feel like doing work. And along with that, we might not have enough time to do stuff in these classes, like maybe bring back a block schedule where we can work on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So I think one uh, one thing that teachers could do differently is a lot of the times we're handed 
content and we're handed like, for example, an equation or an article and we're expected to know what to do in our brain and the learning process of how to comprehend these things. But a lot of times I've seen students aren't able to do that. And I think the teachers should ensure we actually know how to learn, but not that we're just learning, but how to go through that uh, process in your brain of what to do with certain content. Some of the things that um, you might see in a classroom where equity is practiced at a high level are students working collaboratively. Um, they may be working individually, but you'll see a responsiveness from the teacher and maybe even peers. Students are going to be able to express their learning in different ways and to be able to engage into in what they're learning in avenues that are also aligned with their interests and their abilities and their aptitudes. And they'll have the resources, whether it be technology, whether it be instructors or interventionists, they'll have those resources available to them and they'll be utilized effectively. Students in an equitable classroom, they also ask questions. They understand that if they are confused, that somebody needs to know that so that they can help. In an equitable classroom, there's compassion towards others, there's empathy, and that's explicitly taught in many different settings in the school. In an equitable classroom, students also demonstrate a desire to understand others, and they want to know what other people's lives are like. Well, we've looked through the lens of equity at our school, in our classrooms, and reflected as a faculty on this topic. And the question that we use to sort of get at the heart of what equity means at our school is how do teachers leverage their resources to ensure that they don't leave a student, any student behind? And we're not just talking about physical resources, but we're talking about time. We're talking about your effort. We're talking about um, the collaborative team and the colleagues coming together to solve problems and address um, the needs of their students. And even things like patience. We need to make sure our teachers are taking care of themselves to the point where they can make it to winter break without falling apart. And this is all done in the context of a initiative that requires every student to get their individual educational needs met, but a framework that is antiquated by nearly a century that was designed for the Industrial Revolution. So how did some of our teachers respond to some of the things that they do to utilize their resources more effectively? So Alicia, one of our science teachers, says that stress that she stresses that their work, the students' work in class, should mirror their real life. If they don't show mastery the first time, they should keep practicing and trying until they can, until they get it. That being said, um, she wishes that more students would take advantage of that opportunity because she feels like students are just striving for good enough to pass and aren't getting the in-depth experience that um, she intended. And we hear this from many teachers that. The supports are there. They want to provide the student the things they need, but the student doesn't seem to really be engaging in that. And that's one of the biggest challenges we face as educators 
is motivating students to want to learn the things that we know they need um, for success in college, career, life, um, and social situations. Sonia says she asks questions and she collaborates with other teachers. She tries to get to know her students to provide support for her students to be successful at school and for her not to fill out by feel burned out like by winter break, like I said. Um, Kathleen, she says this year she spent the first week getting to know her students and providing activities that encourage them to share with one another and with her so that she could get to know her students and build those relationships. We've identified that that's a critical piece, especially with students that come from adverse experiences, whether it be at home or they've just never really engaged in school because they haven't seen um, the importance of it. It hasn't it hasn't um, welcomed them in at a level that would make them motivated. Um, she really wants her students to share their learning goals, their learning styles, and their expectations, and even their fears and hopes. And um, she thought many of her students this year were surprised about that, but happy to know that she cares. And that relationship can go a long way. Um, the last thing Kathleen brings up is that she learned from a speaker that having one-minute conversations for 10 consecutive days can really set the tone for the rest of the year um, with that relationship that develops with their students. Matt tries to promote social interaction in his classroom by arranging the classroom in different ways so that students are more collaborative. He calls these pods, and he sets up collaborative activities where every student has a role. So they get to contribute in different ways based on their strengths and their interests and um, their social interactions and things like that. He also tries to provide less proficient students with those human resources that they need to not be left behind. And those pods help. He intentionally groups students based on what their needs are, which is all part of equity, as we know. David said he plans this year on getting struggling students in touch with extra support sooner to see if that can make a difference to sort of cock up those proverbial cracks that students slip through. Here at our school, we've been very intentional about developing as many intervention resources as possible. And we use a multi-tier system of support that includes tier one, which is the tools that the teacher has in the classroom to be able to effectively um, provide instruction to their students. But when that is either ineffective or um, the teacher identifies that we need to step up on that support, we have interventionists in our school that can provide that. Special education is a very important um, piece of the equitable process because in the past, special education students have often been treated with a very low level of equity. They often have been um, passed along without the learning taking place. They've often been isolated from their peers. And so here at our school, we've tried to integrate that as much as possible. Gina, who works with our anchor program, says she tries to ensure that her students are not are not left behind, and she tries to enroll them in a, at least one general education class so that they get a chance to be around their peers. She also says that um, a, her students' uniqueness is valued, and it's not something that should be hidden or 
um, discounted, that their uniqueness is very important despite the many challenges that they may face and that it's important for her students to be part of the social con construct and among their peers. She encourages her students to have lunch in the cafeteria, to have lockers, to participate in all sorts of different school activities like our lip dub, being at the games, and even in our dances. I've seen some amazing things at our dances where these students have really been welcomed in by the rest of the student body and shown that they're as much part of the student body as anybody else. She also invites um, peer buddies into her class to not just help with the class, but also to learn for themselves um, that Gina's students are um, deserve every bit of attention and support as anybody else. Tracy is a culinary teacher, but she has a special collaboration with our life skills. And so one period of the day, our life skills integrates um, more than 50% into one of Tracy's culinary classes. And she collaborates with Ms. Han, the life skill teacher. And after a session, then Ms. Han is able to go back to her classroom and reinforce the concepts that were taught in that class in the sake, for the sake of equity. And what Tracy says is really valuable in this is the students that were in that class that have grasped those concepts, they don't need to review them again because they have them. So in this situation, the kids are integrated in the, in the culinary class, but when they separate after the class, the other students, Ms. Han's class, get what they need. Lang, who also is a life skill teacher, um, says that accommodations and modifications that are provided for students are not instated to make their educational experience the same as everybody else. That would be equality. But they're necessary in order for that student to be successful based off their individual strengths and uniquenesses. So understanding that accommodations and modifications are meant to enhance a student's educational experience and so that they still learn at an appropriate level. Ken says that he has usually has a couple instructional aides in his classroom, and he combines their presence with formative assessments to lead small groups so that those instructional aides can assist in that reteaching. In our career and technical education programs, we identify that it's, it's sometimes more difficult to create the equitable classroom because you just don't have the same resources for everybody as you might need. For example, in the auto shop, you only have so many lifts, you only have so many stands in the wood shop, you only have so many saws, so students have to wait their turn. And I've been in those classes, especially when they're really big, and there just isn't enough equipment for everybody to have what they need. So those teachers tend to develop systems so that students get what they need, but it might not be all at the same time. Laura, who teaches interior design, says that she adapts her projects to reflect the student interests and that that strategy helps students understand that what they're learning can apply to their real life and even their career. Because even if their career goal isn't interior design, many of the careers that we take on have some element of design with them that you need to consider. For example, if you're a nurse, you need to understand how to design a 
examination room so patients feel comfortable, but they're still functional. Brian, who is also a career and technical uh, uh, education teacher, says he incorporates his basic concepts in all three years of his autos program. And the reason he does this is that at the end of those three years, the students take a high takes a high stakes test that will determine whether they complete the program or not. And that obviously impacts the student. It also impacts our school. So he takes the basic concepts of his program and he incorporates them throughout those three years over and over and over again. So the student masters those and so that those concepts are fresh when it's time to take that test. We've also talked about doing things like that in math so that those foundational concepts of math like number sense carry through a student even if they're going into pre-calculus. George leverages the power of his students who tend to grasp concepts more readily to help other students who are a little slower to grasp those concepts get there. And so he encourages peer teaching and he tells his students that it'll take all of them working together as a team to get through that class. And by doing that, he builds that sense of community in his classroom. Russ employs universal design for learning tech concepts in his transition program. And what this means is that he provides multiple instructional methods for engagement, he calls that the why of learning, for representation, what are we learning, and for action and expression, how are we going to learn it and how are we going to express that we know it. Universal Design for Learning is an initiative that we've came up with over the last year here, here at our school, and we look forward to learning much more about it. Greg, who's one of our behavior interventionists here at school, says that he believes calling home and staying in touch with the parents of students is a great way to team up to ensure that their students are successful, to make sure they're updated on progress, that they're notified of any challenges the student may face, and to help celebrate the successes students have. We've noticed that teachers often have anxiety that is a barrier to contacting families. And so we've used training as the conduit to relieve that anxiety by providing teachers with the tools they need to initiate that contact and to know what they can do when things tend to be not going so well, things like that. For example, when they have a student that has some challenges when they have a success to call home and talk about the success so that next time that teacher calls home, the that relationship is already there and the parent is more likely to understand that the teacher has their child's welfare and their learning um, in mind rather than just reporting a problem. Daniel, he's a physical education teacher and he also teaches health and he sees making himself available outside of the classroom so students can get that one-on-one -on -one tutoring or concept reteaching is a great way to, so that that student can stay up with the class. Francie, she says that culture is an important component of her Spanish class and that she models respect and appreciation for other cultures as they learn together about customs and other elements of other cultures. 
Tom, he says he does almost everything in his class so that students have the opportunity to see and hear about his topic, which is digital photography. And that if a student misses information, he works them, with them individually so that they can catch up. Every teacher wants to create an equitable environment in their classroom, but just like anything else, we need to learn how to do that. And as a learning community, we've been intentional about learning about equity and other elements of effective learning environments and having a dialogue about what equity means at our school and how to share what we do in our classrooms with our colleagues so we could take those tools and bring them into our classrooms and increase the level of equity in our classroom. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that it's been enlightening in terms of equity. The concepts derived in this podcast or quoted or paraphrased were derived from the Effective Learning Environments Observation Tool, otherwise known as the Elliott, developed by Advanced Ed. We used the Environment A Equitable Learning Flashcard. Please join us next week at, for our podcast as we explore how to create an environment of high expectations that includes equity in your classroom. This is Les Hauer. Thank you for listening.